Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Well, let's pray together first, all right? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes when we go to pray, we just like run right into it, and we forget that God is going to hear your voice. He's going to listen to your heart because he cares about you. And so to that God, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for your love. We thank you for the just brilliance and beauty of creation and the gift of minds that can unlock its meaning and the way it works. We thank you for all the sciences. We thank you for the arts. We thank you for our faith that lets us know of your own plan, your own mind. Help my talk, Lord, to be uh, better than the bottle rocket experience. (laughs) And uh, bless us all, Lord, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So before we really jump into the science and religion question, because this tends to be the number one question. So I don't know if you know this, there's a um, thing called the Pew Study. The Pew Study is a study put out every year, I believe, by Georgetown University, and they look at all religions, particularly Christian and Catholic religions, and they interview a bunch of people in all the pews, all right, and they just say, what are the trends? I think it comes out every year, and the number one trend is that people aren't practicing their faith anymore. Not a huge surprise. I think we all had a sense of that, okay? I'm not, that that was surprising to you. Just wait. The rest of this talk's going to be amazing. All right, so, um, but... Uh, The number one reason given is this one, this question, that why do we have, just science gives us what we need, is what we would call a scientific worldview, that that becomes so predominant, people are like, I don't know about like miracles and Jesus alive and like eating and drinking his body and blood in the sacraments and all this, that just feels weird. Uh, I'll just stick with science. It's respectable. People believe in it. It's a good thing. No one questions it. Usually, that's a whole other question, and uh, things like that. So before we enter in, I want us to have like a, just, I, I picked out a very meaningful video, a video that would just help us get in our hearts, help, a video that will help us kind of understand, like, boy, how do we encounter life? How do we encounter daily life? What is the purpose of life? What makes us come alive? So it's a pretty intense video, but I think you guys can handle it. So just a brief video. Jeff? For me... I really like corn. What do you like about corn? Ever since I, I was told that corn was real, it tasted good. Did you think corn wasn't real? But when I tried it with butter, everything changed. I love corn. Mmm, corn. Do you think everyone should be eating corn? No, not everyone has to like it to be the best. Yeah. Everyone just has to try it. Have a bake. What else are your favorite things? I play a variety of games. Hide and seek, hag, never lava monster. Yeah, mostly cold. I mean, then look at this then. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. It's corn. It's corn. Because corn is awesome. Can you describe corn to someone who's never tasted it before? A big lump with knobs. It has the juice. It's the part that mostly makes me like the cone. How much do you think corn should cost? One dollar. I hope you really have a corn-tastic day. A corn-tastic day? What? It's just a pun about cone. 
If you, anyone loves corn, if you come to me, I can tell you all about it. Do you like corn? No. Have you ever had corn before? No. It's just a pun about corn. <laughs> I love that kid. Aaron showed me that video what, a week ago. I think I've watched it like 15 times. <laughs> Um, I'm super busy. So, um, <laughs> here's the strange thing, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Scientists will say, well, we don't know he likes corn until we do some tests. And they aren't wrong, because they have a certain way of knowing things, and they'd have to put that through their system to have scientific certainty. But anyone in their right mind who's human, are like, that kid loves corn more than I love almost anything else. I was thinking, like, what do I love as much as he loves corn? I was like, okay, I do love Jesus a lot, and I love being a priest a lot. And I was like, after that, there's not a lot that I love as much as that kid loves corn. <laughs> and if there's a part of my heart, I don't know about you guys, that's really sad that I don't love things as much as that kid loves corn, like, I would love to love something that much. I mean, I don't know about you, like, I would love to be like, corn? <laughs> that's amazing. We're having corn tonight? But I'm always like, ah, corn. <laughs> So I just want to start there that science, uh, science sometimes has some weird ways of responding to basic human experience. Like, we, did, we, we don't even have to go to scientists. We don't need experts. We don't need lab coats. We don't need... Uh, that kid loves corn. We can see it with our eyes. We can experience it. We know what it's like to love something like that, and we see him doing it. It's really important because we're not against science as Catholics. We're very pro-science. You'll see that as this goes on. But we also are against what's called scientism which is the belief that science is the only way and the best way to navigate life. We say, no, we need science. We look to science for things. But science has its place. So does art. So does faith. So does experience. So does philosophy. So does friendship. All these have important places. So I don't know about you, but like when I was going through school, so I first taught this several years ago to Holy Name High School. Right? I was kind of their loose chaplain for a couple of years when I was at St. Charles Borromeo. And I was teaching this to them because it was like the major question they had. But one of the things I realized like when I was going through school that like it seems like science deals with the real world. Science is true. If you want to know truth, that's your science classes. If you want to deal with like the real world, the everyday, that's science. But like theology, that felt more like history, like you're just learning things from the way past. Or it felt like fantasy or like, do you remember tall tales? Do you guys still learn tall tales? I don't know, like, like Paul Bunyan? Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like Paul Bunyan, right? Paul Bunyan, and you guys remember these stories? Johnny Appleseed, how they get to be a apple trees. Like there's a guy walked throughout the whole United States tossing seeds, and that's why there's apple trees. Right? I'm not saying these are like really smart things that we've said, but it was a pre-scientific way of explaining stuff. Right? Sometimes faith can sound like that to us. Right? That science is the real world. Our faith deals with some other world, which is a really odd thing because. We believe in a God who entered this world. We believe that this sun is the same sun that tanned the skin of the Son of God. We could get on a plane and walk where he walked. We could eat the food he ate. We can see the Sea of Galilee. Like this real world is the world that God entered in and saved. And yet what's offered to us so oftentimes is this kind of like deception. And it really hurts us is that like we have to be two people. Like, okay, maybe Monday through Friday we navigate through the laws of science and then somehow on Sunday we believe a dead man rose to life and we're talking to him. 
Like, that sounds weird to scientists, and rightfully so, because it's a weird claim, right? But we believe it's about the same world. So, does science disprove God or religion? Right? Well, what I want to first show you is that this is a really contemporary question, meaning this has only happened in the last like 50 years. Before that, there was a great harmony. And then what kind of started happening is sometimes our brothers and sisters, Christians, like Protestants, right, they're so good at a lot of things, but they aren't so good at like the intellect in the sense of like reason, using philosophers and the tradition of 2,000 years of like what did people say. I mean, they're smart, right? I mean, like, but they just, they don't have the same tradition. We have saints like Thomas Aquinas. And things. So they wouldn't have used the same kind of like ability. So when they start saying things like, well, you have a headache, just pray. Jesus will take it away. It's like, well, so does Advil. And like, well, if you do an Advil, then you're turning your back on Jesus. You mean the God who gave us a mind who could figure out what pain is and develop painkillers? That's turning my mind, that's turning my back on God? But these are some of the discussions you'll have. All right? Or you'll have discussions uh, like things like, um, my, my grandma's really sick in the hospital and she's dying of cancer. And sometimes people of faith, they mean well, but they'll say, you know what we need to do? We need to get in there and pray over her. And it's like, yeah, please pray over her. We trust in the power of prayer, but I'm not taking her out of the hospital. I also want her with the doctors and nurses and all the UH or Cleveland Clinic has to offer. We believe in both. We want both. The Catholic approach to life is always both and. And so often we feel pressure, we have to make a choice. The Catholic Church is always both and. So here's some examples. Uh, does anyone know who those guys are? How about on the far left, anyone? Isaac Newton, well done, yeah. Isaac Newton, what's he known for? What did he discover or explain to us? What? All right, calculus, what else? Okay, great, anything else? How about something, what did he explain to us? What just happened? Gravity, thank you, yeah, the most basic. All right, he helped, uh, he helped explain and articulate gravity. In fact, when he wrote the book explaining and trying to understand how gravity works, all right, full-on scientist. Do you know what his next book was right after that? Called Praise of the Creator. He was a devout Christian. So right after he writes a book on science and the laws of gravity, the next thing he does is not get a haircut, clearly, but the next thing he does <laughs> is he decides to write a book on praising God for being a wonderful creator. So in his mind and heart, there was like, yeah, they go together. There's, there's no, why would they, how would they ever conflict? They go together. All right, anyone know who this guy is? Big props if you can figure that out. Wow, great. Who said that? Oh, a seminarian. Oh, wait. You're a big nerd. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. You're the best. All right. Gregor Minute, what did he do? Yeah, uh, put it to words. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> great. What else? Genealogy. Yeah, uh, close? Genetics. Great. Yeah, he founded 23andMe. No, he did genetics, okay? He did genetics. Modern genetics. And it's amazing because he would celebrate the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist. He'd absolve people's sins. He'd preach the gospel. And then he was all day long in a science lab discovering genetics. How they work, what are they? The foundations of modern genetics came from a Catholic priest. Who's that guy? Einstein. Great, yeah, I hope so. Okay, yeah. So Einstein, right, he said, nothing's more sure than the existence of God. Yeah, I agree, right? Yeah. Like nothing. So here you are, this amazing scientist, this brilliant mind. He said, well, nothing's, of course there's God. He could not even conceive of there being 
um, a, a division or a choice you have to make. They just saw these things going together. Anyone? Let's see. Cal uh, seminarians, you can chime in if you like. Good, yeah, Aaron, you sound like you're choking on something. But yeah, it's uh, George Lemaitre, all right? He was the founder of the Big Bang Theory, Catholic priest. A Catholic priest discovered and articulated the Big Bang Theory, right? which I just listened to a podcast today. It's coming into question this week with new evidence. But regardless, they, uh, he discovered all right, and articulated the Big, Bang, the Big Bang Theory. And what is he? He's a Catholic priest. He'd spend his day praising that Jesus Christ comes to us in the Eucharist, that there's miracles, that he prayed a rosary. He would talk about confession. He would preach the gospel. And then all day long, he was talking about how did the world get started? What did this look like? And he was the one who posited the Big Bang Theory. Also, Copernicus. Father Copernicus. He's a Catholic priest. Right? I say all things not because like all priests know science. Believe me, I don't. But it's just to show you that in, in, in not only just like the, the teachings of the church, but in lived experience, there's all sorts of men and women who have no conflict between doing authentic, brilliant science and believing in the revelation of God and Jesus and the church, that these can go together. So that's the main example of these things. So let's get into a little bit more specifics. Science has limits. Scientism is the belief that science can account for everything, our full human experience. So, these are some examples I want to show you. Science can tell us the original paper that Shakespeare was written on. Science can tell us, using dating, about what year it was written. We need science for all those kind of questions. Science can also tell us, all right, like, the kind of ink. He, science can also show us, like, all right, wow, these words are faded here because his pen likely was running out or his quill, whatever it might have been, right? But science can never tell us the meaning of the story Hamlet. That's not a scientific question. Why is Hamlet a classic? You don't go to a laboratory to find that out. You read the story. Why it resonates for the human beings in all times and places, and people over and over again read it to learn about betrayal, family dynamics, heroism, forgiveness, justice, goodness, that it tells all these virtues and ways to be human. That's not a science question. That's a reading of the book kind of question. You've got to experience it. All right, same thing, Sistine Chapel. That's not the Sistine Chapel, I realize. I don't know why I had that picture up. Um, yeah, it's really not at all. But imagine that's the Sistine Chapel, okay? Same thing. Science can tell us what it's made out of. Science can tell us, like, the exact color in the paint to create the same paint we need to restore it. In fact, there's art restoration people who are experts at this where they will do a bunch of scientific tests to find the exact shade of blue used in the Sistine Chapel so that when they're up there painting, they're able to match the color perfectly. So they know what's in these colors. That's science. But that that's beautiful? That's like telling the kid with the corn, saying, oh, well, let's just make sure you like corn. Let's run a few tests. Like that's beauty. It speaks. Or that it speaks to us of creation and God and that Jesus came to heal us and set us free. That's not science, but that's etched in the stones. That's the bigger meaning of our experience. Finally, Dr. Martin Luther King. Right? Science can tell us what kind of microphone he was using. He tells the date of the picture. He tells what kind of camera took it. They can never tell us the justice, what's just and what's not. That's a different part of our humanity. They're not at odds. They're meant to complement each other because we need both. Here's how we bring it together. 
Here's a question. So if someone said to you, they walked in to my kitchen and they saw a pot of water boiling and they said, why is the water boiling? What would your answer be? Anyone raise your hand. What's your answer? Someone asked you, hey, why is the water boiling? What would you say? Go. Yeah, exactly, right? It's on a stove that creates heat. When heat moves in water, water gets to a certain temperature and it begins to boil over because of all the, all the things moving on in there. It's a simple way to say it, right? Exactly, great. What if, what if I said, oh, Father Matt's making soup? It's not like one's not true now. They're just different ways of talking about reality. One's a material cause. This is classical language from the medieval times. The material causality. What's happening in the stuff that's making that thing happen? Then there's agent causality. Who started this? Who did this? Who got it going? It's not like either one. It's both. And that's like the most important thing you take out. And I was like, wait a minute. It's not science or faith. It's both. It's not morality or science. It's both. It's not, it's con or it's a science. It's both. You need both. All right. So here's some other facts within our experience. This is Pope St. John Paul II. So I was in D.C. this past week. Okay. And I was, I got, I was the coolest thing. I loved it so much. I got flown out there to talk to 300 college students at the Catholic University of America. Right? And then I spent the night at the Franciscan's place. And then in the morning, I went to the St. John Paul II shrine. Never been there before. And on my way walking there, I said, John Paul, I just want something special that lets me know that like you wanted me here today. And I just, because I know I have a deep connection to you and you're always there for me. Show me something. The place opened at 10. I got there at 10.30. I was the only one there until noon when I left. Only person there. There's a shrine there which has his, uh, his actual vial of his blood, so a first-class relic. Usually there's a long line of people trying to venerate. Only one in the chapel. I was able to kneel down and pray with him. Then I was able to walk through this thing so slowly with no, no one to An hour and a half I was able to spend all this time. So it was a really awesome experience. So I got back last night. Okay. But there's a big difference, right? Different parts of life. Let's talk about the body for a second. You could have someone doing an autopsy on a body. You ever watch like NCIS or one of those TV shows where someone's doing autopsies on bodies, right? And they're like, they're like, this heart is no longer beating. It weighs six pounds, whatever. And these eyeballs uh, obviously aren't working and they each weigh five ounces. I don't know what eyeballs weigh, okay. And it's like, yeah, all right, all that's true. But then that same person goes home to their spouse who they love and they say, your eyes move my heart. Your eyes speak to me of love and life. My heart beats for you. That's not untrue. It's just a different way of experiencing life. And if you're going to be happy as a human being, that second way of life is probably a way you want to get really good at. Namely, how to navigate your humanity to speak about your life in a different language than just science. Here's the second one. Love. Scientists say these are the chemicals that get released in your brain. It's equivalent to eating a chocolate bar. That's what they say. You ever been in love? You ever fall in love with someone? You ever had a Snickers? <laughs> or you're like, totally the same. I did not need to know Megan at all. <laughs> Could have just stayed home and had Snickers. Didn't even have to go to homecoming. <laughs> No, because although they say it's the same chemicals, there's so much more to our experience as being human than just the scientific understanding. Why do you think One Direction made all that money from that song, What Makes You Beautiful? 
They could have just said, chemicals in my brain make me think you're beautiful. <laughs> and every girl would have been like, wow, that guy is amazing. <laughs> but that's not our experience. Chemicals are a part of our experience, but our lived experience, being human, is so much more than that. And when science is so loud and the only thing we trust, the message to you is everything that's not scientific is some sort of private thing. It's not real. It's irrational. You can't trust it, and there's nothing to learn about it because it's illogical. It's irrational. Those are just dumb feelings. They don't mean anything. Well, way to cut out every love song from all of history. Way to get rid of Romeo and Juliet. Way to get rid of every movie. All these things speak to us. We all watch them and listen to them and enjoy them because they're tapping into something in us that science ignores. Not because science is bad. It just can't explain everything. And some of the things it can't explain are some of the most important. I got new glasses recently. Thanks for noticing. And um, <laughs> I was at the optometrist. Um, and I'm I turned 40 this year. That's important because it means that there's some people I've known for way longer than I realize I've known them. Like a girl I knew when she was four is now my optometrist. And I'm like, well, oh, this feels weird. And I'm like, I, I remember you picking on your brother and I when we were playing video games. And now you're telling me what's wrong with my eyeballs. I'm like, I still see you as not very smart. <laughs> but then it's my fault because I still went to her and she was great. Okay, so you go to the optometrist and they look and they go, well, your corneas are the right shape and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, true. But then you hear phrases like, the eyeballs are the windows to the soul. Now, it'd be very inappropriate for an optometrist to say that to you. <laughs> right? They're like, number one, number two, I see your soul. <laughs> that would be wildly inappropriate. Right? Because that's not the relationship. That's not that setting. That's a scientific setting. There's something true that's going to be conveyed there. What your eyes need, what they don't. But then it's just as true... For someone to say, you look sad, you look tired, or that little kid's eyes when he's eating corn. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> the juices in the corn. <laughs> the eyes communicate your soul, your inner life. And it's like, that's not untrue. It's just a different way of seeing things. There's just more to life than science. And one of the areas where there's more to life than science is desire. The last three years, we've been through a global pandemic. I don't know if you heard. And uh, they called it the coronavirus. I don't know if you heard that too. Uh, COVID-19 for short, or Rona. Depending on. <laughs> and what we tend to think is we're done now, or we're not, I don't know what, what it is, but we're done now. And, um, and so we think, oh good, we can travel. I can actually see from your like nose down, which is super helpful, because I filled that space in in my own mind, and I was wrong for most of you. <laughs> right? Some of you, you might want what I thought. I'm just kidding, you guys look, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, okay. So. But one of the things that happened to us was immense amount of pain, every one of us, because you had hopes and desires over the last two years that got canceled. You wanted to have that birthday party, and your family always gets together and makes you feel special at a birthday party. Sorry, grandma and grandpa are nervous, and aunt and uncle, they have COVID, so it will just be us. Like, whether you thought COVID was the worst thing in the world, you didn't think it exists. We still had to navigate in the one world we all share. Oh, you wanted to go to homecoming your freshman year? No, I'm sorry, we can't do it. But we'll probably have a dance in the spring. Oh, awesome. And get to spring. No, dance, sorry. You know, you had that, like, hope and desire in your heart to, like, go to that dance? No. 
You guys were planning that trip to Europe with your family? That sounded awesome. No. Sorry, you have to stay home because we don't, the airlines won't let us travel. All that desire and disappointment hurts. And what we start to think is, my desires are the problem. I wanted too much out of life. We start to think, oh, you know why it hurts so bad? I was so disappointed and sad, yet my mom and dad told me I had to constantly be happy. Do you know why that hurts so bad? Oh, it's because I just was, I was desiring things. If I don't desire things, maybe things will be better. And science is like, listen, you could be dangerous. You could infect other people. I feel fine. Yeah, that's the way it works. You could be totally fine and still be dangerous. And other people, they're dangerous too. And so even though God created the world that Adam and Eve and all of humanity went to be gifts to each other, we were told for two years, we aren't gifts, we're dangers. And yet in your heart, you longed to be seen, known, and loved and embraced as a gift that you're wanted, you're good. Those desires aren't naive. They come from somewhere. Science can't account for them, but the Bible can, art can, philosophy can, so many other things can. Here's a quote about your desires from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Those desires in you that science is like, I don't, that makes no sense. Just be happy. You're fine. We kept you safe. Like, no, there's something in me crying out, wanting more out of life. That's because you were made for another world. This is not your natural habitat. Eden was. You have an Eden heart. And your Eden heart, John Paul II says, has echoes of God's original plan. It's reflecting meaning to you, that you were, have a certain meaning that the scientific worldview can't explain to you or tap into, but Jesus can. And he came to say, I've come that you have life and life to the full. Meaning those longings and desires in Jesus' mind are from God. And he thinks they're good and he wants you to bring them to him so he can show you the way. Science would say some of those colors are from pollution in the sky. 100% true. That's why there's beautiful colored skies, right? The purples and pinks, that's a lot from the pollution in the sun reflecting off of it. But like when people like stop their cars to look at sunsets, they're not like, wow, look how dirty we are. <laughs> they go, that's beautiful. There's something more than science at work in your hearts. And very few places will tell you that and fight for it. But God does and the church does. Do we want science? Oh my gosh, yes, please. And if you're called to be a scientist, be an excellent one. Be the smartest one ever. But don't think that science will be able to explain and account for every part of human experience. Because there's some things like the corn that are just us becoming childlike, things that make us come alive. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.